God, we do lift up our, our brothers and sisters and thank you that they got out of the quarantine. Lord, thank you that they're able now to go outside to uh, do some things and just bless them, Lord. I pray that, uh, God, that you would just meet them where they're at and that uh, they would, uh, Lord, they would make the best of what's going on. And uh, I do pray that as we get into your word here this morning that you would minister to us, Lord. We've got this letter, this guy's pouring his heart out to, uh, to some people, and God, I know that that same heart, that attitude is your heart towards us. So I do ask, God, no matter where we're at, Lord, we might be in the, in the best place ever with you, we might be in the worst place ever, but Lord, I know that you wanna speak to us, I know that you wanna minister to us, I know that you wanna reach us. So give us ears to hear that we can, we can take in the sound, Lord, but more than that, hearts that are receptive and ready to, to absorb what you have for us. And we give you this time, we thank you for it, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we get into, we're gonna do 2 John, and it's interesting, 2 John and 3 John, each of them are obviously very short. They're less than 300 Greek words when you look at them, and, and sometimes I think we see short letters like this, and, and sometimes we'll just skip over, and we're like, well, that can't mean much. It's only, you know, got a few verses, and, and what does it mean? I think shorter letters are gonna be a little bit more informative and intense than long letters. When I was in Bible college, the director would uh, take some of us, and, and he would, he, we would have to do papers, and and he would tell us, okay, I want you to do like twice the reading, twice the studying of everybody else, but then I want you to write a three-page paper on it. And some people go, well, three pages isn't hard. Yes, it is, because you gotta be more succinct. You gotta figure out what you're saying. You gotta get it down. I learned it's a lot easier to write a 10-page paper than it is a three-page paper. So when I look at Second John and Third John, that's what I think. I think John had something to say, and he got it down, and... And I think these are some powerful, powerful letters. The word truth is used five times in the first four verses. So here's what that's telling me. John's all about truth. And we live in a culture where we're trying to negate truth. And we're trying to just take it away. Truth is truth. And truth will always be truth, and truth doesn't change. You don't have truth in one generation, and it's not true in the next generation. And John is going to kind of reiterate that over and over and over, and he's gonna encourage you and I, we need to stand for truth. And we need to be people who were willing to take a stand for truth. Again, when we take a stand for something, doesn't mean, doesn't mean we have to be jerks. Doesn't mean we have to be aggressive and abrasive. It just means we're gonna take a stand and we're not gonna move. We're not gonna, especially in our own hearts, we're not gonna be moved by something. So John is encouraging this group, why? Well, because some false teaching has crept in. You know, we kinda, sometimes I think we think like false teaching is something new. Hey, it started, it started the minute the church, well, it kinda started in the Garden of Eden, right? And it's just been going and going and going. And, and if you study your scriptures, you'll find out that Satan doesn't have anything new. It's the same old lies, just kind of repackaged. So the church is being attacked. John knows it, and he's writing to them, and he's telling them they need to guard truth. And one of the ways of guarding truth is be careful who you hang out with. Did your parents ever tell you, watch out, don't hang out with that guy? 
I was the guy that the parents were talking about. You know, they say, don't, don't go with that guy, right? Because he's gonna influence you and do bad things. And we need to be, listen, as believers, we need to be careful. We need to be careful who we're listening to. We need to be careful what we're listening to. And we need to be discerning about it. And that's John's point. And John's even gonna get to the point where he says, hey, don't even, don't even invite them in. And we'll discuss that in a minute. But in the first century, or I'm sorry, in the second century, they had this whole thing that they, they wrote out some rules for the church, some regulations, the Didache, and they, and they gave it out. And here's a portion of that that I find interesting. It says, about apostles and prophets, follow the rule of the gospel, which is this. Let every prophet who comes to you be welcomed as the Lord, but he shall not stay more than one day. This is kind of interesting, huh? He can't stay more than one day. And if necessary, maybe the next day. But if he stays three days, he's a false prophet. That's kind of interesting, right? And when a prophet leaves, let him, listen to this, let him take nothing except bread to last until he finds his next lodging. But if he asks for money, he's a false prophet. Wow, that's kind of interesting, huh? And if he wants to settle among you and has a trade, let him work for a living but if he has no trade, see to it in your understanding that no one lives among you in idleness because he's a Christian. If he will not do this, he's trading on Christ. Be aware of such men. That was coming out of the second century, and they're looking at it. So listen, we have the same stuff going on today. Hasn't changed much. So John warning them and writing this letter and telling them to stand for truth. Now, I, I like the way this letter starts. Look at just the first two words, the elder. It's interesting, John doesn't identify himself. He doesn't say it's John. He doesn't even use the apostle. What does he say? The elder. Now, I know they know who who he is. He doesn't say an elder, like there's lots of elders in the church, which there are. He's saying the elder. Now, I I think he's using it both ways. I think he's using it as I am the elder, I'm in charge type thing, and I also think he's using it age-wise. John was really old. He was, he was in his 90s probably when he wrote this, and I consider that old. I think you hit 90, you can just say, I'm old. <laughs> my, dad, my dad was uh, 92 and a half when uh, he had an accident, and the doctor asked him how old he was, and my dad said, I'm 92 and a half. And usually, yeah, usually young people do that, right? And my dad says, I'm 92 and a half. And the doctor said, that's kind of strange. And my dad said, once you hit 90, every month counts. <laughs> right? So he kind of counted it that way. And I think, so, so listen, John's old. And John's saying, the elder. He's using it in a sense of authority, but he's also using it in a sense of age. And what fascinates me is the amount of time scholars spend on who is really writing this. These guys knew who was writing it. They had no doubt who was writing it. So he says, the elder, and then, listen, then it even stays kind of mysterious. He says, to the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth. Who is he writing to? The elect lady, who is that? Now, again, a lot of discussion, uh, people trying to figure out exactly who he's talking about, is he talking, is he just using the metaphor for the church, 
calling the church the elect lady? Could be. Or is he really writing to a lady? Is he writing to a person? I, I kind of take the position he's writing to a lady because he doesn't, he, he, that's not kind of John's style to use these metaphoric terms for things. And I think he's writing to an individual lady. I think it's somebody, and maybe she had written him about these false teachers that are coming, how should they treat them, what they should do. And so he's writing to her, and then he's writing also to her children. And again, that's why people say it's the church and, you know, the church body. And you want to take that position, it's fine. But then look at what he says, whom I love in the truth. We need to understand something. Without truth, you don't have genuine love. And I think, I think we really miss that in the church. Even in the church, I think we, we kind of get into this thing where, you know, hey, we're all supposed to love each other. We are, but we're supposed to love each other in the truth. It's based on truth. It's not based on emotion. It's not based on, you know, anything else. It's based on truth. And if you don't have truth, you really can't love somebody and, you know, kind of on the flip side, if you're not loving somebody, you, you know, your truth is going to get hard and harsh and et cetera. And I got a quote in a minute. We'll read about that. But John's saying, listen, I love you in the truth. I find it fascinating when we're able to travel and even now just being in Israel and meeting some of the people and, and our guide and, and you have that bond with them. Why? Because that bond is around the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know, you go places, you meet Christians in new places, you have that instant love. It's not, listen, it's not an emotional love. It's funny, I was reading J. Vernon McGee and he said some lady wrote him a thing or called him and, and said that she loved him and he kinda, you know, and then she goes, well, not the bedroom kind of love, you know? And then she says, not, the eat, not even the kitchen kind of love, but the Christian kind of love, right? And that's what we need to understand. Listen, this, this love is based on truth. And so that's what John's saying. Listen, I love the children I love in truth, and not only I, in the middle of verse one, but also all those who have known the truth. Again, we're into that. Are you, are you kind of getting the idea just in this first verse that this is gonna be about truth and about standing on truth and hanging on truth? So he says, listen, not only do I love you in truth, but all of those others, all who are with me, are, are close to you, and they have known the truth because, verse two, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Do you hear what John just said? That truth never changes. It doesn't change with generation. It doesn't change with culture. It doesn't change with ethnicity. Truth is forever. And we've lost that. Saints, we've lost that in our culture. That's gone away. And people don't wanna do that. And we are the ones who I believe need to take a stand and a strong stand, not, listen again, not being mean or arrogant, but a stand. There's nothing wrong with telling people truth is still absolute. I love it when people say there's absolutely no absolutes. Really, you just said there's absolutely no absolutes. There are absolutes, and we know that. And truth, listen, truth will always divide. When you lay down the truth, it draws a line. And you're either on it and for it, or you're against it. So that's what John's laying out for them. Everything he's about to talk about is based on truth. And then he says in verse 3, a little bit more, grace, mercy, and peace 
will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Oh, there it is again. You see, you can't have this stuff called grace. You can't have this stuff called mercy. You can't have this stuff called peace unless you have that truth. You can't even have the love unless you have the truth. Everything is, is hinged on that. John Stott said it this way about truth and love. John Stott said, our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by truth, and our truth grows hard if it's not softened by love. And we need to remember that. That's a, that's a good thing to, to think about. So John has laid that out, and you're not gonna have that. Now, something to notice in this, though, is he equates Jesus with the Father. So he's made a declaration already that Jesus is deity. And that's one of the things he's fighting. That's one of the things he's coming against. So now he's introduced himself. He said who he's writing to. He's kind of introduced his theme. What is his theme? I think we know it by now, right? Truth. That's his theme. And that's what he wants us to get a hold of in our lives. And listen, if he's fighting hard for it in the first century, shouldn't we fight harder for it in our, in our century in our culture. So he lays that out and then he tells them this. He says in verse four, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive the commandment from the Father. So here's what he's saying, they're walking in truth and what truth are they walking in? What they receive from the Father. What's the command that they receive from the Father? Love the Lord your God with all your heart all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. That's the command. That's the thing that's got to get in our hearts. And listen, that is a truth. That's a truth that we need to live by and we need to walk in. I don't know if you know it. Do you know in the, in the Old Testament, there's 613 laws. That's a lot of stuff to keep track of, right? And then we have the top 10, right, that people quote and they like the top 10. But then remember when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest command? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. I heard, I think it was Augustine that said this. He said, love the Lord your God. He quotes that, love the Lord your God and then do whatever you want. There's truth to that because if you love him, you're gonna do the right thing. You don't have to worry about what you're doing. And so listen, man, that's gotta be the basis of our life and the basis of what we do and that's what John is trying to get across. We gotta get that, we get that command. And again, that command's not burdensome, it's not difficult, it's not hard, why? Because you love him. <clears throat> I really love my wife. I mean, I really love my wife. And I wanna do things for her. I wanna please her, I wanna bless her, most of the time. Like I'm thinking right now, we just got back from this trip and my yard's a mess and I gotta do yard work. I hate yard work. And I just think, I don't wanna do that, but I love Gaynell, so I guess I'll do it. You know, you kinda think, but most of the things I do for my wife are not drudgery, they're not hard, they're not difficult. Why? Because I love her. And the same with my God. I don't mind following my God and following what my God has laid out. Why? I love him. I have that relationship with him. And that relationship is built on truth. Not emotion, not ideals, not on some success story. It's built on truth. And what is the foundational truth? That Jesus Christ died for my sins. 
And that's what it's based on. So John gets into that, and then he says this. Listen, he says, he says a, a command we received from the Father. And then verse 5, and now I plead with you, lady. That's why I think he's talking to a real a person, not an entity. He says, I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we had from the beginning that we love one another. That's what Jesus gave us from the beginning, right? And we're gonna love one another, again, based on that truth, and we're gonna walk that way, and this is love. Here's what he says. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. Are you kind of getting the idea that that love is about obedience? Walking in obedience? Walking in truth? Understanding what God wants and desiring to do that? Now, I would love to tell you I do that perfectly, but then lightning would come on the pulpit and, and I would disappear. But I want to do that. I want to walk with him. I want to please him. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And listen, we've got to fight to do that. It's difficult. We have an enemy we're going to read about in a moment. We have an enemy of our souls that wants to keep us from doing what God has called us to do. Listen, if he can't keep us from being saved, he's gonna keep us from doing, if he can, what God wants to do. And, and one of the greatest ways he's gonna do that is through false teaching and deception. He's been doing it for centuries, and he is really, really good at it. I always crack up a little bit when people kind of act like they got a handle on... on uh, understanding Satan and what he's doing. You know, he's been around for a few millenniums. He studied human history, human uh, psychology. He knows, he knows us better than, he knows exactly what he can trip me up with. Like if I go to the bank, he doesn't tempt me to rob the bank. Like I don't get in line at the bank and go, don't let me rob this bank, don't let me rob this bank, please. Don't. Like there's no temptation at all. But there's other places I'm tempted and he knows them well. So listen, here's what he's saying. We need to walk in obedience and this is love that we walk according to the commandment and this is a commandment that you've heard from the beginning that you should walk in it. Are you, are you kind of getting the idea? So we got this whole idea of truth. Now we're getting this whole idea that we need to walk in it. We need to be diligent. Listen, he repeats this over and over. Why? Because it's an issue. It's something that we need to understand. It's hard for us to do when some people say, oh, I can do that, it's simple. Why would God repeat it over and over and over and over if it wasn't something that he knows that we're gonna struggle with and we're gonna have a difficult time? So he lays that out. Now, here's where, here's where the tough part comes in. Verse seven, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ coming in the flesh this is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Oh. Have you noticed how John's really kind of hung up with the Antichrist thing? We read in verse John, he brings it up a lot. And he's, listen, he's not just talking about someone who's against Christ. There's also Antichrist can mean instead of Christ, taking the place of Christ. And he says, listen, the deceiver comes. Why does the deceiver come? He comes to trip us up. And he says, listen, he says, they've gone out into this world and what does a deceiver, what, what does a deceiver attack the most? The person and work of Jesus Christ. 
And when people do that, I don't care how they minimize it, I don't care what they do, some people will say Jesus isn't really God, some people will say Jesus was really not every human, God never became human, some people will say it was all a hoax, it was this, some people will not believe in the virgin birth, they'll do all these things, he didn't really raise again on the third day, we're getting ready to celebrate the resurrection, some people deny that, and you got all of this under the label of Christianity, And there's this gamut of stuff going out there. And they're deceivers. And he says, John says, if they do not recognize the person and work of Jesus, Jesus came in the flesh. God put on flesh and dwelt among us and died and rose again on the third day. And greater than that, he's coming back. And how is he coming back? In the flesh. I think sometimes we think he's gonna come back like some glorious like intruder. I think Jesus is gonna come back the same way he left. He's gonna be, you know, whatever size he was, he's not gonna be this like ginormous. He's gonna be the same, same size. We were just in Israel, we're on the Mount of Olives. When we're on the Mount of Olives, I always think about that in Zechariah where he says he's gonna come back, he's gonna put his foot on the Mount of Olives and he's gonna split it in two. I think most of us, when we read that, if we're really honest, we kind of think of this ginormous foot coming down, hitting the Mount of Olives, going Well, that wouldn't be a miracle, would it? How about someone coming back with a size nine and a half, putting their foot on the Mount of Olives, and it goes That's intense. And he's gonna do that. He's coming back in the flesh. And we need to know that the deceivers will try and get your eyes off of that. And John says, be careful, they're deceivers and they're the antichrist. And listen, then he says this, look to yourselves, look at verse eight, look to yourselves that we do not lose the things we worked for, but, what, but that we may receive a full reward. John's not talking about losing our salvation. John's talking about losing our reward. Do you understand that as believers, we're gonna go before the Bema Seat of Christ? Now some people use that to scare people. I don't, think the, I don't think the Bema Seat of Christ is like this you know, intense thing where you're gonna get beat over the head. I think the Bema Seat of Christ is to receive a reward. And it's gonna be a, kind of a reward ceremony. Some people are gonna get really big rewards, some people are gonna get really small rewards. I have my own opinion on how that's gonna go. I think, I think a lot of people think, you know, people up front and people who are more famous and et cetera, they're gonna have great big rewards. I don't think so. I think the little people, quote, the little people, the people who are behind the scenes, the people who are the real movers and shakers, I think they're gonna have big old honking rewards and these other guys are gonna get this. But here's what he's saying. You have somebody working overtime trying to keep you from receiving your reward. You've got somebody who's trying to keep you from serving Jesus to the fullest extent you can. Do you understand that right now is the only time we can serve him by faith? Do you know once he comes back, we're gonna see him, we're gonna be with him. There's nothing, you're gonna gonna walk by sight. Right now we get to do it by faith. Right now, right now we get to trust in the promises of God and do things for God by faith and walk by faith. I get excited about that. And listen, I think, I think too many of us, we kind of just, we waste time. 
Again, when I was in Bible college, an interesting thing that would happen, I went to Bible college, I was an old guy. The kids all called me dad. And, but here's what happened. A lot of those young people would get towards the end and here's what they would say. I just wasted two years because I didn't put effort into it, I didn't put my all into it, and I wasted it. Do you wanna do that with your Christian life? Do you wanna waste what God has given you? God has given us such great opportunity, and I think we should be, listen, I think we should be crazy about taking advantage of the opportunity that he's put in front of us right now, and we should be serving him. I don't wanna waste, listen, I don't wanna waste one moment. If he came back tomorrow, what would your reward look like? What would it be like before the, standing before that seat? And that's the thing that John is talking about. And listen, this deceiver or the deceivers, they're gonna come and they're gonna go, you got plenty of time. Don't worry about it. It's okay. And then we're gonna get to the end and we're gonna go, I just wasted this time. I don't wanna be that person. I wanna... Listen, when Jesus comes back, I want to be the guy that says, wow, you guys have heard me say before, I want him coming back when I'm in the pulpit because then I can say, I was just talking about you. It's a good thing. But listen, I want to be, I want to be busy about what he's given me and put in front of me. And I think we should all be that way. And this is John's point. Don't, don't listen to the deceivers. Don't listen, to, especially to those who say he's not coming back at all. But especially don't listen to, oh, don't worry about it. Take your time. It does, it's not important. Listen, every moment counts. And we need to take advantage of it. And, and John is pushing us in that direction and, and telling us, man, we need to know that. And then he says, listen, so that we can receive a full reward. I believe, according to what I read in Revelation, once we get that reward, what are we gonna do with it? We're gonna cast it down at his feet, right? It's not a reward for us to keep, it's like for us to worship him with. It's like I got more stuff to worship you with to give you. Now, listen to what he says. He says, whoever, verse nine, transgresses. Now, some of your translations might say, whoever goes ahead, and I think that's kind of a, a better translation. Whoever goes ahead and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. You hear what he just said? Some people will say, I don't need these basics, and I don't need, you know, let's go beyond the cross. I'm gonna tell you something, there's nothing beyond the cross. The cross is everything. Our salvation is everything. And the deceivers, here's what the deceivers will do. I have a special teaching for you. I have special knowledge. I, I have understanding that you don't know about. When people do that, you need to bend down, tie your shoelaces on real tight, and run. And get away from those people. There's no secret knowledge. There's no decoder ring. There's no code that God gave us. He gave us his word. Do you know that the New Testament was written in simple Greek so simple normal people could understand it? It wasn't classical Greek. It wasn't complicated. It was for people to understand. We have the Bible. You can understand the Bible. You apply yourself. You put yourself. And don't, t don't let people tell you, I have this special understanding. 
There's a saying that I really believe in. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. And we need to be careful. When, some, when people come with new stuff, I'm always skeptical. Even, you know, in Israel, the guides get caught up in things, and I'm not gonna go into some detail. And they always get into this thing, and I'm thinking, why do you get into that? Just stop it. And they must teach, at the guide school, they must teach this one particular, it's a, it's a thing about Jesus being a carpenter, and, and they get off into this thing, and, and it's just, but, because it's not important. And they all go down this same road, and I'm thinking, just stop. And it's almost like, well, we have this new revelation. There's not new revelation. God gave us his word. Listen, if it's built on new revelation, then what did the people do who died before that new revelation came along? You with me? So watch out when people do that. So here's what he's saying. He's saying when they go ahead, when they get ahead of the gospel, when they start leaving it. But I want us to pay attention. Here's what he says. The doctrine of Christ. We might say it this way. A theological term would be when they get away from Christology, when they get away from understanding the person and work of Jesus Christ. When people want to go beyond that, you need to be careful. Now, some people tell me they don't like doctrine. And they go, I don't like doctrine because doctrine divides. Yeah, it does. It divides truth from error. They're right. And then usually, here's what I find. People who don't like doctrine don't like doctrine because they have really bad doctrine. <coughs> don't mean to step on your toes. But that's a reality. Why? All doctrine is is what you believe, a body that you believe, a teaching and if you've got bad teaching, you don't like good teaching. And so here's what he's saying. Those who do not have the doctrine of Christ, do you understand what he just said? They don't have God. They can say what they want, but they don't have the God of Scripture. And this is John, the apostle of love, who says that. But on the flip side, here's the good news. He says, he who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Again, tying those together. Now he makes that statement. And I think all of that was to get to this because I think this lady said, what do we do when people show up? How do we treat them? How are we supposed to uh, uh, receive them? Here's what he says. If anyone, verse 10, comes to you <coughs> and does not bring this doctrine, the doctrine of Christ, the person and work of Christ, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. Now, I think, I think often as Christians we misapply this. You got people who come and knock on your door? And here's what some people do. Well, I just slammed the door in their face because that's what John tells me to do. That's not what John told you to do. He's not talking about, listen, he's not talking about being rude. Why would you be rude to people? You're being rude to them just, just solidifies their false doctrine in their mind. Why don't you be kind to them? Why don't you have a conversation with them? Whenever I have a conversation with them, and every time I get in a conversation with them, here's what they tell me. Why are you so hung up on this Jesus? Glad you asked. <laughs> Why am I hung up on Jesus? Because that's the truth that everything is built on. And if you diminish my Jesus, you diminish everything. So listen, he's saying don't bring them in. Here's what he's saying. Don't enable them and support them so that they can spread their doctrine. Now, most of us are pretty careful. Most of us, you know, we don't like the cults, right? So we're mean to the cults. But you invite some people who have bad teaching into your house through their literature, through their podcasts, through their television shows. 
You don't mind. And here's what people will tell me. I know they're wrong in that area, but they're so good right here. Saints, did you hear what he said? If they're wrong about Jesus, they're wrong about everything. I don't care how they, I don't care how they sugarcoat it. I don't care how they do it. If they're off on Jesus, you need to not invite them in. In other words, don't have them come and stay with you. Don't support them. Don't enable them. That's all he's saying. He's not saying slam the door on, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons or whoever. He's saying don't bring them in. And he says, and then he says, listen, nor greet them. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. You get involved with them, now you're sharing. One year we were at a pastor's conference and we were down on the beach and we were on a pier and these two guys are sharing with these girls. And so I saw, I, I, you know, I could tell that they were witnessing. So I started praying for them. And the person I was with said, what are you doing? I said, I'm praying for those guys, man. They're, look at, they're, they're witnessing. And he goes, they're Mormons. And I went, oh, I gotta change my prayer. And uh, right away I thought, well, that, I, now, now I'm on their side, right? Now I'm, I'm kind of enabling those guys. And, but listen, saints, we need to be discerning in the 21st century on who we're listening to more than ever. Listen, we live in, a, we live in an age where we we're more blessed than ever, and we live in an age that's more dangerous than ever. And you need to be discerning. And the way you are discerning is by having truth as a basis. You start here and you do not deviate from it. When somebody messes with Jesus, you need to, I don't, I don't, care, I don't care if they just deviate this much. They're wrong. And he says, stay away from them, watch out. That's John, that's John talking to us and we need to be people that we need to understand that and we need to take that stand. Then he says this, I, I love this ending, verse 12. He says, having many things to write to you. So listen, John, John's writing this short letter, and he goes, oh, man, I got so much more. And then listen to what he says. He says, I have many things to write to you. I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. Oh. Have you found out that kind of face to face is a lot better than writing? You write something, and people may misunderstood, misunderstood, misunderstand, well, or they might misunderstood too, what you wrote, and then, you have, then, you, then you're writing more stuff to try, face-to-face is good, but I think, it, I think it's even more powerful than that. I believe, I believe we're in a difficult time in the church right now. We went through a difficult time, we went through the closing of of being able to gather together. We did some online stuff, and we've always done online stuff, so we didn't start there. But doing church online is not doing church. And I know, I know some people are right now online, and, and they don't like me saying that, but we need to be face-to-face. Not just me face-to-face with you, but you all face-to-face with each other. And John's saying that's important and if it was important in the first century, it's so much more important now. I have people that I have not seen in two years. They're part of our church. I haven't seen them, and they're probably watching right now and probably mad at me. But I haven't seen them in two years. That's not healthy. That's not good. He's saying we need to do this, and we need to be together, and we need to come together and meet and take, 
take advantage, again, of the opportunity we have. We may have a time where we cannot assemble. Then I understand, but we don't have that right now. That's not the time. Right now, we have the opportunity to assemble together and take advantage of that. Let's get together face to face. And John says, lady, I want to talk to you face to face. I don't want to write you a letter. I want to talk to you face to face. And then he says, listen, verse 13, the children of your elect sister greet you, amen. And that's why they're saying now he's writing from one church to another church. Could he be writing from one sister to another sister? I think so. But you can decide. That, that doesn't take away or add to the letter in any way. But here's the point of the letter. Truth. Do you remember when Jesus went before Pilate? And what did Pilate say to Jesus? What is truth? Why did Pilate ask that question? Because Pilate lived in a culture where they were trying to mess up truth. And he was confused about truth. I, I don't think, listen, I don't think Pilate was being a jerk. I think Pilate was saying, what is truth? Just like today, I believe people want to know what truth is. Oh, they may word it in a different way, but they want to know what truth is. You and I have the opportunity to give people truth. Let's do it. Let's go for it. And let's be people, we're going to go out there and do that. That's what John is telling us to do. And let's take a stand. Go home, burn your books that are not truth. Cancel podcasts that are not truth. Hey, a guy may tickle your ears, and here's what I know. Hey, I know from experience. Man, they say stuff, and it sounds great, and you're, and you're caught up in it. And that's called emotion, and that's called experience. But if it's not based on truth, you're going to get in trouble. So let's be people. We're going to be more discerning. We're going to be careful about what we do. Now, listen, don't get so close that you don't listen to anybody, but let's be careful about what we do. And let's be purveyors of truth in a culture that denies truth. I'm from Bisbee, I'm used to going against the grain. So just get in there and go against the flow and you'll be fine. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for the challenge that we have here. And here's this little short letter, less than 300 words, and yet so powerful, and it's something that I believe, I believe hits all of us and touches all of us, and we need to decide today. Are we gonna be people who are gonna stand for the truth? Are we gonna be people who take advantage of what God has given us? We live in a time where we have so much opportunity. It's amazing what we have before us in this generation. And I pray, God, I pray that we would take advantage of it and we would use it. And I pray, God, that you would use us in the lives of the people we come in contact with. It's not just, quote, speaking the truth. It's living the truth. Fleshing it out in front of a world that's so mixed up, so chaotic. And we have an opportunity. Let us be that light in the darkness and let us shine brightly. Thank you for the challenge that John has given them and that John gives us. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in that attitude of prayer for a couple more moments. And you know what, maybe you're here today and as we're speaking, you're, you're realizing that you've, you're at that place where, you know what, 
you've never really believed the truth. And here's what I mean by that. You've never really come to the place where you recognize and understand that Jesus Christ died for your sin. To do that, first of all, you've got to recognize that you've sinned. You've got to recognize that you're a sinner. And some of us don't want to do that. I think all of us know. I don't think we need to get into long definitions of what sin is and, and how we sin. I think, I think, listen, I think just human conscience tells us we've sinned. But we don't want to admit it before God. And if you've not done that, today's the day. You're not here by mistake. Today's the day to admit, God, I am a sinner. And then you come to the place where you realize you've offended a holy God. And here's what you deserve for sinning. Deserve his wrath for eternity. That's bad news. That's all bad, ugly news. The good news, Jesus Christ took the wrath that you deserve and he took it upon himself and he paid that price for you and now today he offers you the gift of eternal life. He holds out to you this receipt that says, I paid your debt, it's paid in full, you're free. And that's what he wants to give us. That's the God that we worship. So if you want to take that gift, receive that gift, you just need to talk to God. You need to tell him, yes, I want to be saved. So I'll lead you in a prayer. I'll kind of put some words in your mouth. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And hey, you can say this prayer with me out loud or you can say it silently. Volume doesn't matter. What matters is your heart. You need to be sincere as you say this prayer. If you're backslidden this morning, man, you're not here by mistake. I always like to say it this way. It's time to front slide. So if you backslide, front slide, say this prayer with us. If you're watching online and you're not too mad at me, you can uh, say this prayer right there in your home. You don't have to be in this building to say that prayer. And you can call on his name and he will hear you. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And God, right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you for your forgiveness today. And now I want you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my life and guide me. Today, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.